I want to begin this morning by asking you, how many of you have heard this song right here? This may be a blast from the past for a few of you. Listen to this. you back to the 80s, right? But you never thought you'd hear Elton John in here, right? On Sunday morning. Now, whether you like him or not, he makes a good point. Listen to the lyrics of this song again. He says, guess there are times when we all need to share a little pain. And ironing out the rough spot is the hardest part when memories remain. And then he says, And it's times like these when we all need to hear the radio because from the lips of some old singer we can share the troubles we already know. And then the chorus goes, turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When all hope is gone, why don't you tune in and turn them on? And later he explains why. Because sad songs, they say so much. In this song, Elton John is describing how it's sometimes helpful for someone who's feeling sad, for someone who is going through dark and difficult times, to listen to an old sad song of someone who has been there. Well, this morning, we're going to learn that the same is true in our spiritual lives. When we're going through difficult times spiritually, it is so helpful for us to hear from other believers who have been there, who have been where we have been, who have felt what we have felt. Well, guess what? God gives us that in his word. This book is filled with story after story, letter after letter, psalm after psalm, written by and about people who have been there. People who have been where we have been, who have experienced what we have experienced, who have felt what we have felt. There are certain writings in this book written by and about people who have been through the best of times and who have been through the absolute worst of times. Today, as we end our series, we're going to end with a psalm about the latter. As we finish our study through the Psalms this morning, we're going to learn that not only do sad songs say so much, but we're going to learn that sad psalms say so much as well. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 130. Today we're ending our study through the Psalms. And what we've been saying throughout this study is that though the book of Psalms is classified as poetry, within the book of Psalms are various kinds and types of Psalms. And we've looked at many of these, haven't we? We've looked at Psalms of Wisdom. Psalms of praise, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of remembrance, kingship psalms, and psalms of confidence. And last week, because we have exhausted that list, we, we, because we covered all the major categories of the psalms, we revisited one of our more common types of psalms, a praise psalm. And, and this morning, we're going to do that again as we end this series, looking at one more psalm of lament. Now, remember... When we discuss lament psalms, we said they're pretty easy to detect, right? The definition of a lament is an expression of grief. And you know, if you've read through the book of Psalms, you know when you're reading a lament psalm, right? You know, the psalmists do their fair share of expressing grief, don't they? They're numerous and obvious. If you're ever reading a psalm and it just sounds gloomy and depressing if you're reading a psalm and the psalmist is crying out and saying things like where are you god i cried to you and you've not heard me you've not heard my cry that's a that's a psalm of lament and like the praise psalms there are several characteristics that are typically found in a psalm of lament first you have a cry for help these psalms normally begin with the psalmist crying out to God. Then you have a complaint. This is when the, the, the psalmist explains why he's down and out, the reason why he is upset. And then you have confidence in God. Remember we said though the, the, the lament psalms are, are written to express grief, though these psalmists and these psalms are down and out and crying out to God, they normally toward the end of the psalm express great confidence in God. So these are the characteristics of a psalm of lament. And you find each of these characteristics in the, the, the psalms that we look through, the, the lament psalms that you look through. And we're going to see these characteristics this morning in this psalm. But like I said last week, when we looked at that another psalm of praise, though Psalm 130 is clearly a psalm of lament, though you can see it, through and through. It has a cry for help, a complaint, confidence in God. Listen, it's so much more than that. Just like last week, praise psalm gave us a, a clear blueprint for how we're to worship the Lord. This psalm of lament that we're going to look at this morning gives us as clear a blueprint as any for how we're to grieve as God's people and how we're to respond to God in the midst of despair. Like I said earlier, sad psalms, they say so much. And for the rest of the morning, we're going to look at what this sad psalm is telling us. First, this sad psalm gives us the words to say in the midst of despair. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, before we get into explaining this verse, let me ask you right off the bat. How many of you, after reading verses 1 and 2, 
Feel as if you can relate to the psalmist here. Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you ever felt this way? How many of you have ever been low like the psalmist clearly is here? Here's the truth. We've all been there, haven't we? At one time or another, to one degree or another. Maybe you're here this morning. Let me ask you this, and I want you to be honest with me, okay? Be honest with me. How many of you, when life stinks for you, when nothing's going right, when you're down in the dumps, love cheerful people coming along with this cheerful attitude that life is sunshine and rainbows? Anybody like that? How many of you, when you're down in the dumps, love it when cheerful people come up to you and say, well, you know, when life gives you lemons? I like that. Let me throw this scenario out at you. Again, be honest with me. How many of you have ever done this? You're, you're feeling down. You're, you're down and out. You get in your car and you turn on the, uh, you know, you turn on the car and the radio's blaring. Maybe parents with your kids, happy song music, and you just turn it off. You're like, I am not listening to that right now. Anybody ever done that? When you're hurting and life stinks... You don't really want to hear from happy and cheerful people or hear a happy and, and, and cheerful song telling you life is awesome. Smile and put on a happy face. But listen to this. I want you to get this. This is how great our God is. And this is how comprehensive and applicable and profitable His Word is. Though God instructs us when life is good, He also gives us a song to sing in the midst of despair. He gives us the thoughts to think, the words to say. He gives us advice on, on what we're to do when we're feeling down and out. Though God gives words to happy Christians like we looked at last week, the psalm of praise. He also gives psalms and spiritual songs to people who are feeling down and out. Carl Truman, a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary said it like this. Look at this quote. God in the Psalms has given Christians who are despairing and discouraged and downcast and in the depths songs to sing back to Him. Remember I said when introducing this study, the great thing about this book, the book of Psalms is, it gives us great insight on how we're to respond in every season of life. This book teaches us how to praise God from the mountaintop of joy and from the pit of despair. Which is important, right? We need that, don't we? Because our, our Christian life follows that pattern, doesn't it? Our life is, is a life of highs and lows. It's up and down emotionally. And the Word of God teaches us how to honor God in every season of life. Well, in this psalm, it's clear that the psalmist is going through it. He is as low as low can get. He is in the deepest pit of despair. He's so low, all he can do is look up and cry out. You ever been there again? You ever been there? Yeah. You ever been so low, so in the depths, so cast down and burdened that all you can do is look up and cry out? Or maybe you can't even do that. 
Had people say to me in the past, Graham, I'm, I'm so down, I'm so burdened, I don't know what to do. I've had people say to me, I can't even pray. I can't even study my Bible because I can't even think straight. It doesn't feel as if anybody's hearing me anyways. Folks, the psalmist is here. He's here. He's speaking about this kind of experience. This is very much where the psalmist is. Maybe this is where you are this morning. This is you. Hear me when I say this. You are not alone. You're not alone. You may feel as if you're all on an island somewhere by yourself. And that no one understands where you are and what you're going through. But that's not the case. Thousands of years ago, there was a psalmist who was there where you are in the depths. And he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down for us what the proper response should be from us when we're low, when we're downcast, when we're heavily burdened. God, through the psalmist here, gives us a song to sing. He shows us when we're down in the dumps, when we've hit rock bottom, we're to cry out to God. We're to be honest with Him. We're to look to Him. And we're to call out to Him from the depths and say, Lord, I'm down, I'm low, I'm in the depths. Hear my voice, Lord. Listen to me. Lift your ears to me as I plead to you for mercy. That's what the psalmist shows us. God gives us a psalm to sing. He gives us the words to say in the midst of despair. But that's not all this sad psalm says to us. The psalm also tells us that the problem of sin should cause us deep despair. Sin should cause deep despair. That's what this psalmist tells us. When reading a psalm of lament, an important question that we need to have answered is this. Why is the psalmist feeling down and out? And what you find as you read through psalms of lament that, that the, the reasons are numerous. Times the psalmist will explain that his enemies are to blame. Other times he will uh, place blame on his environment. He'll explain that he's down and out because he's homesick for his country. He's away from his homeland, longs to be home, or, or because he's physically tired or, or, or weak. And in Psalm 130, the psalmist makes mention of what I believe to be the deepest, most significant problem that any of us face in this life, and that's the problem of sin. The psalmist here is wrestling with his own sinfulness. He's in the pit. He's in deep despair, and the reason why is because of his own sinfulness. Look at the part of, first part of verse 3. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, or in other translations it says, if you, O Lord, kept the record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? Here we have the reason the psalmist is in the pit. He's, he's wrestling with, he's struggling with, and is burdened by his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people, as we'll learn later. And he makes an incredibly honest and truthful statement here. He says, Lord, if you dealt with me the way I deserve, I would not be able to stand before you. I would be pronounced guilty as charged. You would throw the book at me. If you dealt with me according to my sin, you would condemn me. You would curse me. You would cast me out and send me to hell. Psalmist is wrestling with and is burdened by 
The biggest, deepest problem we face in this life, the problem of sin. And folks, believe me when I say it's a legitimate concern. A while back, I saw an interesting segment on 2020 about anxiety. And this segment was all about how we as a people have a tendency to worry about things that should really bother us the least. Reports show we have a tendency to worry about things that are least likely to happen to us. And and those things that are really legitimate concerns, they bother us little. One example they gave is many people, most people are more fearful of planes than they are cars, even though we're much more likely to be in a car accident than a plane crash. Here's my point. Though there are many things in this life that should concern us, and though some of these things are legitimate concerns, the problem with us is we often think very little about the problem that should trouble us the most, which is the problem of sin. Scripture is clear that that though people and circumstances can cause us harm in a physical way, sin, if it's not dealt with, can destroy us both physically, it does, and spiritually. Therefore, sin is a legitimate concern, isn't it? Listen to James 1.15. James said this, Sin, when it is fully grown or when it is finished, it brings forth death. James says, sin doesn't stop until it kills us. Both physically and more importantly, spiritually. So sin is a legitimate concern that needs to be dealt with. But here's the the problem with the problem of sin. Many don't see it as a problem, and that's a problem. You with me? Yeah. Many believe mankind's inherently good. That's what you see on the TV reading the papers and in the magazines, they agree with singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin more than Merle Haggard. Sarah McLaughlin saying, uh, we're all born innocent. Believe me, we're still innocent. Whereas Merle saying, I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Scriptures side more with Merle. I bet you'd never hear me say that. But he would never imagine any preacher saying that. But it's true. Scripture is clear. We're not born innocent. We're born guilty and criminal. David said it in this way. In sin did my mother what? Conceive me. Conceive me. And Scripture is clear. That sin, if it's not properly dealt with, will destroy us spiritually. And get this. Though though we think... Being in the depths is a bad place to be and want to avoid it at all costs. Listen, for you to truly experience lasting joy in this life, you must first be grieved by your own sinfulness. If you never deal with your sinfulness, you will never call out to and cling to the Savior. For those of you believers in here who think you're off the hook, I'm talking to non-believers, but for those of you believers who think you're off the hook, Let me tell you, you need to be grieved by sin as well. If you're not mindful of your your struggles, you cannot move forward in your faith and be more of who God has called you to be. One of the titans of the faith, John Piper, got a huge amount of respect for him. He said this, one of the things that grieves him the most, that causes him the most concern, is his lack of progress and sanctification. His lack of progress spiritually. John Piper said that. 
So if you think, believers, I'm good, no struggles, I'm doing fine, no problems, no hiccups, maybe you just need to be more honest with God. Some of the most godly men I've encountered in the faith are those who are honest about their struggles. You know why? Because being honest, dealing honestly with, with sin and seeing how far off the mark we are and how far we need to go motivates us and moves us to work out what God is working in us and, and keep pushing and striving for godliness. So the second truth we learn from this sad psalm is that this sad psalm tells us that sin should cause us deep despair. Last point. This psalm also explains how we can have confidence in the midst of despair. Psalms of lament, they end with confidence in God, and this is what we see here. Listen to verses 4 through 8. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Though the psalmist here is deeply burdened by his own sinfulness and the wickedness of his people, we also see here that he has great confidence in God because of God's great faithfulness and his abundant mercy and his steadfast love. Author Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book entitled By Grace Alone, How the Grace of God Amazes Me. And in this book, Ferguson goes to great lengths to stress the fact that one of the truly amazing things about God's grace is this, that it in no way, shape, or form is contingent on our deserving. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's unearned. The psalmist here very much understands that. He says in verse 3, Lord, if me being made right with you is on my shoulders, I'm sunk, and so is everybody else. But he says, with you there is forgiveness. He says, though I'm deeply troubled, though I'm seriously bothered by my own sinfulness, I know that my salvation, I know that your forgiveness, God, is not contingent upon my deserving. That's why the psalmist could express great confidence in God. He says, though I'm in the pit, I will wait on the Lord. My soul waits on the Lord, he says, more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Notice the imagery here. You know what a watchman is, right? Watchmen in those days were, were people who were appointed to keep a lookout for approaching danger. And the toughest time to do this was, of course, through the night. And you can understand why, right? Any of you ever driven through the night? Had to drive through the night? Think about that. Think about when you had to do that. If you're anything like me, I'm not a night owl. It's tough for me. And it's two in the morning. You're driving and daylight seems forever away. But you know it's coming. And you long for it. Psalmist is saying here that he longs for 
and is more confident in God's forgiveness. He has a greater longing and confidence in God's salvation than watchmen have waiting for the sun to rise. He's saying more than weary watchmen long for and are confident that the sun is going to come up. He says, I long for and am confident in God's salvation. Why? Why could he be so confident? Because it's of God. It's a work of God. It's not based upon man's deserving. The psalmist is confident because God is a merciful God who delights in, in showing his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor toward those who are truly repentant and who trust in him. Notice verse 7 through 8. Psalmist also calls for Israel to have this kind of confidence. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist here calls for his people to hope in the Lord as well, and trust in him, and look to him, and have confidence in his steadfast, unfailing love. The reason why he tells them is because with God is plentiful and complete redemption. Notice verse 8. He says, God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now think about this for a minute. Think about the sins of Israel. They're numerous and obvious, right? And some of them are extremely heinous. But the psalmist here is confident that if the people of Israel will truly repent and hope in God, they will be redeemed from their iniquities. Wow. That's great confidence, isn't it? It's probably the, the psalmist is probably in the, in the deepest and darkest moment of his life, yet he expresses great confidence in God. And I know some of you read this and study this psalm and you think to yourself, well, that's just that psalmist. You know, he's, those psalmists were superhuman. You read this and you think, how, how can anyone today, when they're that low, express that kind of confidence in God? Well, guess what? Let me let you in on something. Do you know that our confidence in God should be as great, if not greater, than the psalmist here? Do you know that? As we've said time and time again in here, when we read through the Old Testament, we're to read it with New Testament eyes, right? Do you realize we have a better, more clear understanding of God's mercy and forgiveness, his steadfast love and plentiful redemption than the psalmist here? You know why? Because we've seen the scope of it. We've seen the scope of it. At that time, the greatest work of redemption that the psalmist could refer to was the exodus. Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. We folks can go to the cross. We can go to the cross. So though the psalmist could go to the exodus in Egypt when considering God's great mercy and grace and love, we can go to the cross at Calvary. Though the psalmist can look to Moses and the sacrifices he made to intercede for his people. Get this, folks. We can look to the sacrifice that Jesus made, acting as our mediator and our go-between. Though the psalmist 
could look at the great work that God did through Moses for Israel's redemption. We can look to the great work that God has done for us in and through the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. When we're in the depths, we can and should confidently look to the cross to the one sent by God for us, to the one who endured the greatest trials for us, to the one who sunk to the lowest of depths for us, to the one who went through the darkest of seasons so that we might not have to. Folks, do you realize what Jesus has done for you? Do you realize how far he descended down to redeem us? Do you realize that? He left the riches of heaven for us. He did not cling to his, his status and the benefits of deity. He took on the form of a lowly servant. He was despised and rejected by men. The purest of all to ever live was betrayed, denied, tried, beaten, mocked, and hung between criminals on a shameful cross for us. He paid the ultimate price for us, death both physically and more importantly, spiritually for us, so that we might not have to. And get this, though, though Jesus willingly gave his life away, the cross was all a part of the Father's plan. He allowed for his son to empty himself by taking on flesh. He called for him and allowed for him to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He planned and orchestrated all of this. He planned and orchestrated the death of the only truly innocent man, the ultimate man, the God-man, his son, the Lord Jesus, so that we might be spared. That's what God's done for us. Listen, if this is the extent that God has gone through, if this is the degree of God's mercy and his grace, if this is how great his steadfast love is, why can't we have great confidence in God? We have no excuse, do we? We should have this kind of confidence in God no matter the circumstances. Listen, you want to have a hope that transcends your circumstances. You want to have a, a confidence that doesn't waver through the toughest of trials and the darkest of storms. And I urge you, if you have not, place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation. Give your life over to him. You're going to have an opportunity to do business with God here in just a moment, right where you are. When I finish praying, our praise band is going to come and lead us in singing how deep the Father's love for us. And as you consider his great love, if you have not, if you've never done this, I pray today that you too would hope in God. I pray that you would turn from your life of sin, you would turn over the reins of your life to Christ and trust in him for your salvation. Let's pray.